Hello, I'm Jeff Alex, and this is the Healthy Perspectives Podcast brought to you by Verimaris, a joint venture company of DSM and Evonik. We're calling this episode Understanding Today's Pet Parent, as we'll be discussing the way in which pet ownership has transitioned to pet parenting. For those who don't really understand the word pet parenting, what we're talking about is treating your pets as if they're one of your family members and not just a working animal or something you put outside. And this has been very important over the 40 years uh, that I've been in the pet food industry, starting as a product developer and moving into uh, the marketing area. I've really seen a major transition from uh, the terminology feed for pets to food for pets. And to give us some of these insights, I am fortunate to be joined by Judy Taylor, uh, an independent consultant from Consultant JMT. This company studies and analyzes consumer behavior. And we're also joined by Jane Sharp, who represents pet parents in today's market. And we're looking forward to hearing her insights about how she treats her pet and the types of pet foods that she purchases for her little furry friend. So Jane, um, I just took a quick trip this weekend and we were in some souvenir shops and right next to the little baby onesies were the little doggy sweaters, you know, and uh, not far from there were the homemade cookies that the shop made to also sell along with them as their own offer for pet parents. So as a pet parent, tell me a little bit about your pet. Tell me about your, your behavior with your pet and the kind of foods you feed your pet. Okay, well, I um, first of all, I'm British. So I think when you were talking about the gift shop and the doggy sweaters and the cookies, I have an inbuilt, innate Britishness about that, which makes me think, how ridiculous. Having, <laughs> having said that, I have... Uh, a miniature labradoodle called Ned, who's come, who's five. Actually, just had his birthday a couple of weeks ago. Um, who, as my children say, I have four children, is my fifth and favourite child. Um, uh-huh. And he is um, an incredibly important part of our family, and we love him dearly. And whilst I wouldn't buy him miniature doggy sweaters and dog cookies. I certainly do buy him lots of toys to play with, and I think very much about how he is, how he's feeling, what he eats. Mm. And I really sort of take notice of his moods and his um, his way of being. He's not just a dog. He's He really is a member of the family who um, matters very, very much. That's lovely. So, Judy, having heard what Jane just said, tell me a little bit about the data that supports that behavior. Uh, well, I think what's uh, really interesting is your definition of the pet parent, because when we did the work on, on, on pet nutrition and pet care, the language people used uh, was very human language to describe their pets. So members of the family, um, they they don't ever talk about them in a way which makes them seem smaller than anybody else, any other member of mm. the family. They are equal. And that's quite interesting. They often have a place in the car. They have their own bed area and bed space. They're allowed around the house. We noticed there was very little in the way of restrictions about where the dog can be in the house, where the dog is allowed to eat, sleep, (laughs) Um, even where it's allowed to be in the car. There are many of the people we spoke to said, when we drive along with him on my lap, 
you know, and I'm driving along the motorway and I'm thinking, my goodness, this stuff's quite uh, dangerous. But actually, it's about the humanization of, of, of dogs, much more so than cats, actually, interestingly. We didn't see, see the same data quite for cats. They still seem to be more other than, than uh, dogs. I think uh, cats are babies and dogs are children or people, actually. I've noticed when I've talked to cat owners, they're, they're little babies, and whereas yeah. dogs seem to be people, if you see what I mean. I don't know whether that makes sense, but they seem uh, And more... cats don't need, they don't need the same level of affection, and they're not as unconditionally in love with you as dogs. So cats are quite independent, and they'll mooch around on their own, and they'll leave home for a couple of days. Dogs are always pleased to see you. They always want to be with you. Um, and it makes the relationship um, very emotional. Yeah. There's a cute little story that feeds into that, which says, you know, um, the owner presented the food to the dog and the dog looked at the owner and said, oh, you're giving me food. You must be a god. And the same owner gave the food to the cat and the cat saw that and said, oh, you're giving me food. I must be a god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly absolutely. Right. That's you know, exactly right. and I think that's a great distinction between the two. But yeah. I like Jane exactly what you said. I think that's a great observation. So let's talk a little bit about food, food quality, um, the attributes of the food that you um, would feed to your for your dog, Jane. Well, like what's important? Um, what's important? I've been thinking about this. He is a member of our family. And why would I feed him substandard food in the same way as I wouldn't feed my children substandard food? You know, purely selfishly and purely rationally, I want him to lead a long and happy life. So I wouldn't give him food that wasn't going to support that. And I suppose if you want to be incredibly rational about it, it means I'll probably have fewer vet bills later on because he won't get issues because he's been badly fed. Having said that, that's not why I do it. I do it because I want to give him pleasure. I want to give him the best ingredients I can. Now, that doesn't mean I'll go to Fortnum and Mason and buy him rare fillet steak, but it does mean that I will think very, very carefully about... Um, the quality of the food I give him. The other issue is they are a bit like children. It's what he will eat too. And, you know, mm -hmm. he's a fussy devil because he's got a lot of poodle in him. So, ah. again, I it is a bit like working out what a toddler will eat, you know. And so no, once you get that formula, you stick to it and wouldn't compromise on his health, mainly his health, but also his enjoyment. Why would I? He's a member of the family. Yeah, I think it's also day. really interesting um, because when we spoke to people, they had a really clear understanding of what their dog needed. So if they're older, which nutrients were best mm. for their joints? Um, when they're growing, how much protein they require? When they um, get a slow gut, how much fiber they need in their food? Whether green vegetables are good for them? Almost more than they seem to know about how to feed themselves. Um, which is an interesting observation. I think also a dog is um, a sort of, how can I say this, a bit of a badge for the owner. So mm. um, you want, in the same way as, you know, when you go to the school concert and your kid sings beautifully in the back row at the nativity play, there's something about this is part of me, this sort of reflects on me and how I can take care of the things that mm -hmm. I love. 
And I don't think it's conscious at all. But, you know, I, I love it when people stop me on a walk and go, wow, what a beautiful dog. Hasn't he got of a fantastic course. coat? He is so cute. He's so lovely. And I feel proud. You know, he's my dog. And I've looked after him well. So I don't think pe- pe- I, could, I would necessarily have said that if you hadn't made me think about it. But there's something about a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, beautiful pet that makes you feel very proud. Yeah. But think about it. Same thing with a baby, right? Yeah. You have your yeah. baby and somebody comes along and says, what an adorable baby. You know, yeah. you do brim over with pride, right? You yeah. Do, yeah. You know, um, yeah. because your baby looks healthy and happy and yeah. they coo and it's so nice, you know. And it means I'm doing something right. You know, Absolutely. it's a sort of payback thing as well, I think. No doubt about it. Mm. So, Judy, one of the things I wanted to ask you is I see a lot in uh, as a marketer in the industry, I've seen a lot around farm to table, you know, this whole mm. transparency thing that's been going on. Mm. So what from some of the research that you've done, um, would you say is kind of pushing us towards that sort of transparency trend? Uh, I think there is definitely a move towards cleaner eating for animals as well as for humans uh food that in consumers language is less mucked about with less processed um there's always been a uh, both true and apocryphal understanding that pet food has bits in it that human beings wouldn't eat um you know guts and and parts of the meat that you wouldn't normally feed to humans and mushed up and put in dog food lots of filling lots of biscuit lots of husk um, there is a real sense that there's less of that in premium dog foods and cat foods, and that those are that's very important because it means that the the gut of the animal is protected better, more nutrients. The belief is more nutrients get into the pet than would have got got in otherwise because it's digested slowly and properly, and things like GI are talked about as well as you know balanced diets. So. Uh, I think it's not just farm to table. It's a whole sense of a, a, a more stripped back, cleaner way of producing pet foods um, that benefits the dog, but also interestingly benefits you. And there's there's uh, fewer accidents, less smelly, oily coats, um, better skin. So actually, which is a benefit to the owner and their in their house as well. Jane, I can see you want to say something, which is also interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's what Judy was saying. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know whether it's because we've all lived through COVID or whether the whole environmental conversation is taking hold a lot more strongly in mainstream thinking these days. But I think I've become much more reflective about everything I do. So if I'm going to recycle and think about the food I eat and the sourcing and where it comes from and try and lead a greener, better life, why wouldn't I do the same thing for my dog? You know, it's absolutely hypocrisy to to not include that, particularly when it, ma- it matters so much to me. Yeah. Um, so I'm not just going to sort of, you know, sling him a pile of rubbish and try and be a, a more reflective, environmentally aware or food aware or something yeah more reflective um than i would not you know that i'm I'm, I'm, you can't just do it um individually you have to do it in the round is what i'm trying to say and i think um the dog is part of that so i don't necessarily need to know exactly where it's sourced but i need to know that there's a sort of integrity and commitment there from the manufacturers to sort of doing the right thing and I, i do feed my dog 
treats, <laughs> which are probably not terribly good for him, but he loves them. And I was talking to my husband about this last night. He said, yeah, but it does come from a company who I know has an incredibly committed environmental policy towards the stuff they produce. And I said, well, that makes yeah. me feel so much better, just knowing that. You know, just knowing that actually I'm not feeding the dog something you know that's that's, really that's a great point you know when when we're putting together the um the marketing strategy for the veramaris pets algal oil product um that was a very big consideration of ours because you had mentioned some very key both of you have mentioned some very key points about how uh the perception of byproducts for example going into pet foods um and there's a trend towards using more human grade products well, the problem with that is that as you start taking food from humans, then you really do have a negative impact on the environment. And and just being in the business for mm-hmm. so long as I have mm-hmm. in my early days as product development and ingredient specialist, um, byproducts are actually extremely nutritious for pets. Matter of fact, in the wild, pets often will eat the organ meats yes. before they eat the muscle tissue because it is packed with vitamins, minerals, and all kinds of nutrients that they need to, to really be healthy. So there's a mindset shift there that's going on. But when we were putting together this marketing strategy, we were we were realizing that we have to bring the whole sustainability discussion to a new level because right now to get the very important omega-3 uh, fatty acids, EPA and DHA, into the pet foods and do it so sustainably, we can no longer keep pulling the fish out of the ocean to do that. There's too much of an impact on the environment. Mm, And uh, with an industry that's focused on carbon footprint, it doesn't get a lot of voice. And so we had to kind of really start the education process Mm. to help people understand that biodiversity loss in the ocean because we're overfishing the ocean Mm. um, is just as important, if not more important, uh, when you look at certain dimensions of the metrics that goes into the assessment of Earth and its wellness. And so bringing an algal source that we grow up uh, in a controlled environment to produce a very consistent, high quality and traceable source of omega-3, which is important for all life stages of pets, really becomes an important topic. So as a, as a consumer, Jane, what, is, what do you think about that? I think it's not something I think about consciously all the time. If I were in the store and I were looking for something to buy and I saw some messaging about that on a pack, it would stack up very positively in my mind as something to buy because I just think you know you've reminded me about something I probably don't think about that much and in my bid to be a more conscious consumer in the round that would work very well for me but I think I would need it bringing to my attention I don't think I'm so committed to this that I would look consciously for it you know so it's great if somebody tells me this I think this is a bit like this the treats thing and knowing that the company who produced it was a sort of a, a, had a pretty good environmental footprint that made me feel really good so I think it is important it would probably sway my choice uh, I, I think it's interesting because I think people are possibly one step back with pet foods in that they've re- recognized and found some really fantastic premium pet foods that cost a lot of money but which promise um, a really balanced diet, clean food, good nutrition, omegas, and that's a real step forward. And people are very excited by that. They haven't done the the calculation behind that, which is about where these omegas come from, how they how that sort of you know pillaging the oceans. They're not thinking about where the other nutrients are being pulled from. 
And actually, it's quite a big ask when we were doing the research. It's quite a big ask to get the consumer to get to the point where they start interrogating that level of detail. Um, and the easiest way to do it, I guess, is to flag up fish-friendly ocean omega-3. Um, and, and it begs the question, what is fish-friendly you know, omega-3? Or what is this great product? Or what does this little cartoon symbol mean on the front of the pack? You have to make them curious enough to bother to turn the pack over and have a look. And it's a tricky one because it's quite a big backstory they need to absorb in order to, um, in order to learn it. But when they do learn it, to Jane's point, they are so interested and so motivated by it. And I, and I think, and that's why I sort of mentioning, I don't know whether it's COVID or whether just this whole environmental messaging we're, we're all hearing so much at the moment. I do think people are becoming much more reflective about this whole issue. At one point, we didn't know we didn't know it. Now we probably know we don't know. So actually, we're sort of further up the spectrum. And it's quite interesting when somebody says, you probably hadn't even thought about this and you don't know this, but actually, this is fish-friendly, environmentally-friendly omega-3. You go, oh, great. You know, thanks. And I don't even need to know the story. If I see the flash and I trust the brand or I think you're a that the brand is credible, then that will be a sort of thanks. That's great. That's a great piece of information that makes me feel so much better. Jane, you bring up a really good point about the, you know, if you don't, if you don't know to look for it, you don't know it's there, but if you see it, you'll understand it and you will respond to it. That begs the question, what is the retailer's responsibility here? I think that's a really good point because supermarkets and and grocery for humans have taken on responsibility for helping us to learn how to eat well. And pet stores are in a very similar position uh, in that they are now asked by consumers, by dog lovers, dog parents and cat parents to help them to make the right choices for their pets. And they have a a whole raft of, of options which they tend to know more about now than they used to five, even five years ago. They'll now be able to tell you Hill Science offer this, you know, and they can go through the brands and they can give you a perspective on it. And actually, interestingly enough, you get more of that from pet stores than you do from grocery, mainstream grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge one assumes for, for, for guys like you to, to try and make sure that story sings on pack, as well as teaching the people that sell the product how to talk the product into the consumer's uh, level, to the right level of understanding for the consumer. Because not all people who buy very premium dog foods will go to pet stores to do it. They will also need to buy it in other places. I I go to the supermarket. But, you know, it's my point that if you you get the pack flash right, then it feeds into this general increased awareness mm-hmm. I have, and that really helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think previously, you know, you trust the vet for mm-hmm. um, nutritional information or how to look after your dog best. Yeah. I think it's, you know, unless, unless there's a huge problem or they're ill, mm-hmm. I need that general reassurance that I'm being a decent human being by buying my dog decent food. Yeah. From somewhere else other than the vet, I think, probably. I mean, I don't think I, I would necessarily I, I, worry about the vet telling me that. I don't know. And, mm. I, and I think social media has a massive role to play in this as well, because um, once you're a pet lover, you are looking at social media for mm-hmm. some of this messaging. And it's a really useful place to tell your story. It's a great point. Well, we are, I can't believe it. We're at the end of this podcast and, and I can't uh, thank you enough 
for your insights and and uh, both from Jane and Judy, you both are bringing some extremely important points up that I know people are interested in. And I'd like to further this conversation in another podcast because I think it's worth it. There's a lot more I think we could have explored here. So I just want to thank you both for your time. And I just want to say if there's someone listening that has any comments or questions or any ideas for future podcasts, don't hesitate to reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn and send me a message. So Jeffrey Alex with Vera Maris. So thanks for listening to the Healthy Perspectives podcast brought to you by Vera Maris. Until next time, goodbye.